I invite you now to find in your bulletin the scripture passage that we'll consider for this morning. From Acts, chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So far the reading of God's holy word. May the Holy Spirit now illuminate our hearts and add his blessing to it as we consider it this morning. Well, last week was Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, where we remembered and celebrated that radical claim that Christianity makes, that Jesus of Nazareth rose bodily from the grave, glorified, never to die again, the beginning of a new creation. We saw how by faith in Jesus we have a reasonable, full, and personal hope in Him that can sustain us. In the darkest of times, when all other lights go out, we have the hope of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus gives us hope. But that's not all that the resurrection of Jesus gives us. Today we continue that that same story where Luke, the author of Acts here, he tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, that he was appearing to his disciples during 40 days. It was not just a sweet time of fellowship uh, among friends, Jesus with his disciples. No, this was a purposeful time. Luke says in verse 3 that Jesus was speaking about The kingdom of God. But what does that mean, the kingdom of God? Well, today we will find that Jesus was talking about the nature of the kingdom of God to them, the identity of those who belong to the kingdom of God as citizens, and also the mission of God's kingdom in this world. During those 40 days, we can think of it as this, that Jesus was preparing and equipping his friends, his followers, those apostles, for the rest of their lives united in service to their king, awaiting his arrival, the coming of his kingdom. And this is crucial for us as well today as a church because we also need to know what the kingdom of God is, who we are as kingdom citizens, and what we're supposed to do while we wait for King Jesus to return. And so those will actually be our our three points. First, the kingdom's presence and the kingdom's people, and thirdly, the kingdom proclamation. So first, the kingdom presence. If you read the gospel accounts in the New Testament, if you've read them, 
or are familiar with them, you'll quickly notice that the theme of the kingdom of God is front and center. Jesus' teaching all throughout is filled with kingdom language. The Greek word basileia for kingdom in the New Testament occurs over 160 times. It's a very prominent theme. Mark, in his account, he tells us that Jesus started his ministry saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So from the very beginning, there he was, proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. And then here in Luke's account, in the last days, with his disciples, we find them again speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus began and closed his earthly ministry talking about the kingdom of God, proclaiming this concept. So clearly this topic is of great importance for all of us. If we don't understand the kingdom of God, we've missed one of Jesus' most essential teachings. Just because it's essential, however, doesn't mean that it's easy to comprehend or understand or grasp. Because look, even after spending so much time with Jesus face to face, even after the resurrection, the last question the apostles have for Jesus, well, it shows that they're not fully on the same page with Jesus. They were still a bit lost as to the nature of the kingdom of God and and the timing of its arrival. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They were still a bit confused. His answer for them to that question must have been a little bit disappointing because he says, well, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed in his own authority. But we see that their question shows that they were wrestling with the timing of its establishment. When would God's kingdom arrive in its fullness? Because as Jewish men, they grew up with the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the promises of the Old Testament about the kingdom of God. It's not a a new idea that comes out of the New Testament, but it's actually an old concept of God's kingdom, where we find the Old Testament promises about the glorious reestablishment of God's reign and rule over all the earth when the arrival of the Messiah came. What they never expected, however, was that in God's timeline for the coming of his kingdom, that it would come in stages. Kevin DeYoung, he says it well when he says, when the Jews read the prophecies of Isaiah, Joel, and Daniel, they expected that there would be a hard break between the present age and the age to come. The one would end and the other would begin. But in God's wisdom, the coming of the Messiah turned out to be not just one event, but two. His first coming to inaugurate the age to come in the midst of the present age, and the second coming to end, finally, the present age and consummate the age to come. You see, what he's saying is that the apostles, they realized that when Jesus was raised bodily from the grave, that was God's public affirmation of Jesus as the long-expected Messiah. This is the son of David, the heir to the throne of the kingdom of God. They knew that his resurrection was basically his coronation ceremony, where he was crowned with power and glory by the Holy Spirit. And so they realized that in a sense, with the king there, and inaugurated, coronated, that the kingdom was already there with them. Really present. But they also saw that many of the promises that they had expected and 
seen and read from the Old Testament, well, they were not yet fulfilled. For example, where is the obedience of all the nations to God and His King? Where is the vindication and restoration of God's people? What about the renewal of the world with, as Amos says, justice rolling down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream? Where is that? And where is the removal of death and the wiping away of all our tears and all our sadness? That is what the apostles were grappling with here. The already but not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. And Jesus was showing them that the kingdom of God has already broken into this world through his resurrection, but it has not been fully realized. You see that Jesus inaugurated his kingdom by his resurrection from the dead, but he will consummate that kingdom when he returns. He will bring its fullness in the end. The great Dutch theologian Gerhardus Voss shows why this is so important for us to recognize saying that since the kingdom of God is present partially, but not fully, we must expect substantial healing, but not total healing in all areas of life. Substantial healing, but not total healing. And that's very practical, very useful for us as we meditate on it. If we grasp this reality about the kingdom of God, partially, but not fully here, it will safeguard us on the one hand from naive optimism, And on the other hand, from cynical pessimism. What do I mean? Well, on the one hand, since the kingdom of God is already present, we should not be pessimistic about the possibility of change and renewal and revival. Renewal and change in the lives of people, in your very own life. Renewal and change, revival in our church, even in our city are possible because we are united to the risen Lord King Jesus by faith. And the power of his resurrection is now in us and with us by his Holy Spirit. And his resurrection power is a renewing power that brings change, substantial change. So if you are overly pessimistic, if that's generally your disposition, well, and thinking that you'll never make progress, for example, in that habitual sin that you have. Or if you think that revival in the church or in society is impossible, well, then you are not believing enough the already aspect of the kingdom of God that Jesus has inaugurated by his resurrection. Real change is possible because the kingdom of God is really present, and we need to believe that aspect about the kingdom of God. Now, on the other hand, on the other hand, since the kingdom of God is not fully present, we should not be naively optimistic about that change, that renewal, that transformation. Because until our king returns gloriously on the last day, well, we should, we should realize that we will always face frustration, personal setbacks in our striving to be more holy, and we will even face persecution and hatred from the world. This is what we are to expect as well because the kingdom is not fully arrived yet. So remember that while substantial healing and change is possible, that total healing and total renewal is only to come when our king returns. When our king returns. So the kingdom is already present, really present, but not 
fully present. Now, what is that reality about the kingdom of God being present but not fully present? What does that mean about us as a church and our identity? Well, that's our second point. Kingdom people. We are kingdom people. When Jesus responded here to the disciples' question about the timing of the establishment of God's kingdom, he didn't just say that it's not for you to know when this is going to happen. That's not the only answer that he gives them. If you look at verse 8 again, part of his answer, he says also, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's part of his answer. And Jesus was telling them that the promise of the Holy Spirit of the age to come was about to come upon them here in the midst of this present evil age. The Spirit of God's kingdom was about to fill them with kingdom power to be a holy and distinct society in this world. In their book, uh, What is the Mission of the Church? Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert say that the church acts as a sort of embassy for the government of the king. It is an outpost of the kingdom of God surrounded by the kingdom of darkness. We see then that the church is, is called and has been filled with God's power, the king's power, in order to showcase to the world around us the good, true, and beautiful life of the kingdom of God. That is who we are and what we're tasked to do. And this is what the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians 3 when he says that we have a citizenship that's in heaven. And that word actually for citizenship can be better translated as commonwealth or colony. We see that the church is not just a social gathering, not just a club of individuals. It is rather an outpost or a colony of the kingdom of God. And Tim Keller says it well when he says that the church is an alternate society. Not simply a collection of individuals who are forgiven. It is a counterculture, a new society in which the world can see family, family dynamics, business practices, race relationships, and all of life can look like with the Holy Spirit beginning to heal all the effects of sin, psychological, social, and physical. In this sense, the church must follow God's standards and directives and laws rather than the world's. And it shows the world what a new humanity should be. So Church of Ontario URC, you are a colony of the kingdom of God here in the city of Ontario. That is your identity. A city on a hill, as Jesus said, a lamp put on a table, not to be covered, but to shine brightly to those around it, to give light. At this point, I want to say that we will never be able to compete with Hollywood. The church can't compete with Hollywood or big mega churches that have tons of money to give a big production and offer all kinds of entertainment that's stimulating. We cannot do that. We cannot and we should not try to compete with Hollywood or those kinds of churches. But what we can do by the power of the Holy Spirit of God's kingdom, is to be a community that demonstrates the reality of our risen King. That's what we can do. And guess what? It costs, it costs nothing extra to share life together in meaningful ways, to pray for each other, to weep with one another, to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. We don't need a, a, a big new budget that to set in order to 
Love one another. We don't need that. To encourage one another. To teach one another the way of Christ. We don't need a big production. No, Jesus already bought it all for us. Our king paid the price with his own blood to make this kingdom life a reality for us as a community. And by his Holy Spirit, Jesus grants us all that we need in order to grow in maturity in our faith in these ways as kingdom people, as a colony of the kingdom. You know, when we confront the fact that the kingdom is not fully present in this world, for example, when we face increasing opposition from the world to the gospel, into our way of life as Christians, what is our temptation? Our temptation is to fight in the culture war with bold defiance. But that is not the way of Christ. Instead, we must hold steady and faithful with our firm hope in the resurrection. As author Rod Dreher says, could it be that the best way to fight the flood that is coming is to stop fighting the flood, that is, to quit piling up sandbags, and to instead build an ark in which to shelter until the water recedes and we can put our feet on dry land again. Rather than wasting energy and resources fighting unwinnable political battles, we should instead work on building community, institutions, and networks of resistance that can outwit, outlast, and eventually overcome the occupation. I think that's very insightful. Redirecting our energy to what Christ has commanded us to do, who we are to be. First and foremost, the church is called to live in the reality of Jesus' resurrection and the reality of his kingdom which is present among us. We are called to live as a colony of the kingdom by the power of our king and his spirit with us. And when we realize that that is our identity, we will be more prepared and equipped for our mission, which is our third point, kingdom proclamation. Kingdom proclamation. Well, similar to successful companies in the world, uh, businesses that have their clear mission statement that, that's written on the wall, that's written on their website, etc. Well, the church, the church needs to know what her mission is. And we find that in the Bible that it's not a mission that we ourselves have to come up with. It's not for us to create. Rather, it's something that we receive from our King, from Jesus. And here in Acts 1, Jesus lays out the mission for us. He says succinctly here, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But how are we to be Jesus' witnesses? Well, as we already mentioned... Our kingdom life together should be a witness to the watching world. For example, the citizens of the city of Ontario here, the residents of Ontario, should see, should see in us as a community the beauty of our life lived together. Our church should be like a healing balm to the hurting people in this community who are living and dying without hope, without faith in Christ. We should be, as Paul says, the aroma of Christ to our neighbors. And not just with our words, but also with our deeds, with our life that we share together. So in that way, we should strive to have a faithful presence here in the city of Ontario. Like the exiled Israelites who were uh, led as captives into Babylon. Well, God told them in Jeremiah, Jeremiah that they should seek the well-being 
of the city in which they found themselves. They should seek the shalom of that city. And so we too, we too should seek the well-being of the city of Ontario and its residents. Because by God's design and purpose, He has placed us here in the city of Ontario as a colony of His kingdom. We ought to be a blessing to those around us with our words and our deeds. So part of the witness is with our life together, our deeds, our good works, that they might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. But that's not it. We must not shy away from the full truth and proclaiming it. We must be Jesus' witnesses with our mouths as well. We must proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection and the coming of His kingdom, the whole counsel of God's Word. And this is how we make ourselves distinct from those in the world who are just doing humanitarian work. We do it in the name of Jesus. We do it proclaiming His death and His resurrection. And that we have hope in Him who will bring the fullness of His kingdom. And in in that proclamation of His Word, we must preach the whole counsel of God's Word. It's so tempting just to preach the sweet and the attractive truths to the world around us because it's more palatable for them. But we must also preach the sour and difficult truths that are not pleasant to the world. And in this task before us, this mission of proclamation, we must keep the main thing the main thing always. And in their book, Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert, they say this, the church has been given a specific mission by its Lord. And teaching people to obey Christ's commands is a non-negotiable part of that mission. We go, we proclaim, we baptize, and we teach, all to the end of making lifelong, die-hard disciples of Jesus Christ to obey everything He commanded. The mission of the church is to win people to Christ and build them up in Christ, making disciples. That is our task. So Ontario URC, your task as a colony of the kingdom of God here in the city of Ontario is just that, to make disciples, to make disciples, to be a blessing to the city around us. And the good news is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have the promise of the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that task, to fulfill that mission. Because the kingdom of God is not fully here, Well, let's not be naively optimistic about change and renewal. Let's safeguard our heart in that way. But because the kingdom of God is already present, let's not be overly pessimistic either. By the grace of God and King Jesus and by the power of the Spirit, we can grow, we can grow as a colony of the kingdom of God here in Ontario because the kingdom is present We are his people. Let us proclaim the message of our King Jesus until he returns. Amen. Let's pray. Christ, it is indeed our desire, O Lord, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that you would have dominion over land and sea, and indeed you shall. Lord, we thank you that by your grace you have called us out of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, the kingdom of light. Lord, we thank you that you have placed us here together as a community 
a colony of your kingdom to serve one another, to serve you, and to be a blessing to those around us. And we thank you that in this mission, in this task, you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower us and to equip us. For we are feeble, we are weak, we ourselves are unable, but by your Spirit, by your Spirit, empowered and equipped, we can do this work. And even in that, we do not trust in our work, but instead we trust in the King Jesus, who will bring the kingdom in its fullness when he returns. And all we long for his return. And we say, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.